Well, good morning. How are y'all? We are, Ben and Stephanie, obviously, <laughs> um, so glad to be here this morning, so honored to be able to share with you what the Lord has done in our lives and um, the things he showed us in his word. I just want to let y'all know, um, I know last week we watched the video of Lyle's preaching last week, and I know he asked everybody if you had a big church wedding or if you got married at the Justice of the Peace. Well, Ben and I met in the Air Force so long ago. It was so long ago. <laughs> um, but we've been married 32 years. We got married at the Justice of the Peace. She was my boss in the Air Force. She still is. <laughs> oh, that's really not true. Um, I, but I will tell you, when we met in the Air Force, I really didn't even like him. Um, he got on my nerves. He was always singing. The radio would be on. He sang all the songs. He sang all the commercials, um, all the radio tunes that told what station you were listening to, everything. Um, got a song in my soul. Got to let it out. He did. He did. <laughs> but he won me over, and we did get married. We've been married 32 years now. We have three children, and we have three grandchildren, which I am convinced is a reward for surviving teenage years with the kids. Y'all understand that. <laughs> um, we have been blessed to be able to teach marriage classes since way back in the 90s. And just recently, we've been doing some marriage conferences. Um, the Lord's allowed us to do that. And just to share kind of some of the things we're going to share with you today. And also, I'd like to say one other thing. If you're not married today, um, there's so much in what the Lord's done in our lives and what he showed us that is applicable to all of us as believers um, so I pray you won't tune us out just because it's Marriage Sunday. Um, and also I want you to know we do not have it all together. We do not have all the answers. Um, we are blessed to be here. We are blessed by what the Lord's done in our lives. Um, and I pray you'll just um, take a few minutes just to listen and let the Lord speak to your heart as Ben shares. I was going to put a clock up, but you all know what a clock means to a Baptist preacher. Absolutely nothing. We'll try to stay on time here. Um, you know, that's the first time Stephanie's ever begun anything that we've taught. And uh, uh, she usually says, you start first. I want to kind of get comfortable. But I think I know why she does it now, because um, we actually sang with a gospel trio traveling for 12 years. And we sang on television in Hopkinsville, Kentucky at a telethon they had. And I was always kind of the comic relief uh, with the group and tried to make something funny. And uh, I introduced the one girl who was singing with us. She's from Lamasco, Kentucky. Anybody heard of Lamasco, Kentucky? Yeah. Her house was the one on the right. <laughs> That's the way I usually introduced her. And then I turned to my wife and I said, this is my wife, Stephanie, my beautiful wife, Stephanie. And I said, I said this, I have to say she's beautiful or she'll beat me. They looked at me like, what did you just say? We were singing at a spousal abuse telethon. So it's probably better that she introduces. <laughs> uh, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to speak. I thank you, Father, that you are all powerful. And I thank you, Father, that is not us speaking, but as Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I pray, Father, that is your words that come out. And if I get in the way, you just set me aside. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I want to show you a few pictures. Anybody know who this is? Um, 
He's working on it. Anybody know who that is? Who's that? No, that's not Bing Crosby. That's Harry Crosby. He got his name Bing from when he was like seven years old, a comic strip that he read. So that's where it came from. Uh, about this next person, you know who this is? Miley Cyrus. Actually, that's not her name. Her name is Destiny Hope Cyrus. She got her name when she was younger. She was smiling all the time, so her parents nicknamed her Smiley, and it finally changed to Miley after a few years. What about this next one? Fergie. Actually, her name is Tracy Ferguson. No, Stacy Ferguson, sorry. Um, she, obvious where that name came from. She just shortened her Ferguson to Fergie. What about this next one? Man, is he playing good right now? Woo! Actually, that's not his name, though. His name is Eldrick Woods. He got his name from uh, in childhood. His dad had a great friend who called him Tiger. And when his friend passed away, they just kind of started calling him Tiger. And the last one, I believe there's one more. Who may know who that is? Tubby Smith, basketball coach at University of Kentucky years ago. That's actually, not actually his name. His name is Orlando Smith. He got his name... For when he was a child, when he would take a bath in a galvanized tub, they couldn't get him out of it. Like, come on, time to go in. They're off. He wanted to stay in the tub. So his real name's Orlando Smith. So why do I tell you all that? Well, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about names this morning. And I promise I'm going to tie it to marriage. But about names. So we're going to start by looking in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, I just want to give you a little bit of background before we start. Um, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem about 606 uh, B.C. And when they went in there, they took some of the things back, including some of the young boys uh, around 15 years old. And as we read the scripture, I'm going to talk to you about some things in here. So uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year... Of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability of serving in the king's court. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And we're going to stop right there for a minute. First of all, I often wondered why did they want children of noble character? Why did they want children uh, that of these characteristics? And about... Two months ago, Stephanie and I were, uh, were watching a Netflix series called Merlin. Anybody ever watch that? Yep. I just kind of started watching it. I, li- I like medieval times and started watching it. And uh, Morgana, Morgana, the evil princess, captured some of the knights of the round table. And her comrade said, why don't we just kill them? And she said, no, let's don't kill them. Because if we can get them to bow down to me. The rest of the people will follow. See the connection? They captured young 15-year-old boys, 
approximately 15 year olds, of noble character. If they could get them to bow down, the rest of the people would follow. There's something interesting uh, in that scripture as well. If you look at the word teach, that teach in Hebrew means to goad if necessary. G-O-A-D. To beat with a rod if necessary. To teach them the ways of the Chaldeans. To teach them not only the ways, it says the literature and the language. Literature, Hebrew means they had to be able to orally speak the history of the Chaldeans. They wanted them to forget their old ways and learn their ways. Going on, starting in verse 5. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years and at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them were the sons of Judah. They were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned them new names. To David he assigned the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And Azariah, Abednego. Now we've heard those names for years growing up in church, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were not their real names. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, wanted to rename them. And here's what I'm convinced of. Satan wants to rename you. He don't want you to believe who God created you to be. And here's the truth that if you don't know who you are, then it's doubtful you know who your spouse is. And in the meantime, the road to intimacy is a dead end street. Let's figure out who God say that we are. Who does God say that we are? Something interesting about those names. If we look at what they meant, let me get to my notes there. There we go. Daniel meant in Hebrew, the original name he was given, God is my judge. Well, the Babylonians wanted to rename him. What did they rename him? Belshazzar, which means you belong to the god Baal. Totally changed his name. Want him to forget his old ways. What about the next name? Hananiah meant God is gracious, gives favor. The new name that they gave him was Shadrach, means you belong to the god Achu, the moon god Achu. If we look at Mishael, meant who can be equal with God. His new name they gave him, Meshach, means who is Shishak, god of sexual rebellion, who is like Shishak. Azariah meant God is my helper. Abednego meant servant of Nego. Their Hebrew names would tell them what God had in store for them. But see, the Babylonians were more about indoctrination than they were information. They wanted to totally convince them that those ways were not right. And Satan wants to do the same thing to you. He wants to convince you that who God created you to be is not who you are. We can actually go back to Genesis 2, 7 through 9. I'm not going to read, um, I'm sorry, further than 7 through 9. I'm not going to read every one of these uh, verses, but I want to look at them because I emphasize something in them. Look at Genesis 2. If you'll pull that up, there we go. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils with breath of, breath of life, and the began became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And in the east there was a man 
whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God. What am I emphasizing there in bold? Lord. Constantly through chapter 2, for time's sake, I'm not going to read all of those, but if you go to the next group of verses, you see the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. You keep going, you see the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. But then when you go to chapter 3, something very interesting happens. Satan enters the picture. He said, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What happened to the word Lord? He wanted to convince Eve, well, he may be your God, but he's not your Lord. And Satan was not going to call him Lord. Eve bought the lie. What did she say? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree of fruit, trees planted in the garden. But God said she left the word Lord out too. Since the beginning of time, Satan has been trying to steal God's identity. Let's go over to Matthew. There we go. I'm not going to turn my notes. It's on the screen. Jesus had just come out of being baptized. It, the Spirit of God, uh, it said, ascended on him like a dove. A spiritual high. It's often true that God tries to, I'm sorry, Satan tries to attack you right after a spiritual high. Every time Stephanie and I get ready to prepare for speaking about marriage, Satan tries to get involved. Every time, just this past couple of weeks, one day we had a little disagreement. And after it, I said to Stephanie, I said, you realize what just happened, don't you? We're trying to prepare to talk to people about marriage and Satan doesn't want it to happen. So Jesus just came out of a spiritual high. And notice what he says to him. Jesus was led in the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you really are the son of God. Challenging Jesus' identity. He go, and what did Jesus do? He takes every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, as Romans says. And he, he uses scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You go on to the next verses. says again to him, and takes him to the holy city, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. He said to him, if you really are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now Satan's going to use scripture. He, Satan can quote, quote scripture. It said, it is written. I think that's out of uh, Proverbs. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands. They will bear you up unless you strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. If Satan tries to steal Jesus' identity, you believe he tries to steal your identity? Absolutely. And if you don't know who you are, it's doubtful you don't know who your spouse is. In the meantime, the road to intimacy is a dead-end street. Where am I in my notes? All right. So the devil's in the process of scheming against you. He's in the process of trying to convince you that you're something you're not. And there's not anybody I've ever heard better that puts it than Priscilla Schreier. Listen to this video. I find out you've been scheming against me. 
Meaning you've been sitting back studying my tendencies and my patterns. You've been watching for where I come and what I go. And you've been trying to take advantage of what the weaknesses of my flesh are. You've been looking into my personality to figure out what would be the best way to throw me off course. When I find out that not only have you been studying me, but you've been studying my husband, trying to look into his history so that you can figure out, given my history and his history, the best way to make explosions of anger happen in our family. When I find out you've been trying to explore his weaknesses so that you can tempt him away from his heart. And his emotions being at home with me When I find out That not only have you been studying me and my man But you've been also looking into my three boys These little men that the Lord has given me To raise in the fear of God And you've been trying to figure out the best way to sort them From reaching the destiny that God has assigned to them You're trying to figure out the best way to take advantage Of their fears and their weaknesses and their deficiencies When I find out you've been studying me and the people that I love You better believe that now a holy Indignation rises up on the inside of me. Y'all go see that movie she was in, War Room. Wow. Wow. She's talking about Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Do you know what Roman soldiers did back in those days? They would take their shields, oftentimes, and soak them in water. That way, if those arrows, flaming arrows came, they would extinguish them when they hit. Y'all need to be soaked in the truth. You need to be soaked in the Word of God. So when those evil forces come against your marriage, you can extinguish them. Oftentimes in medieval times, I've heard that they would shoot those arrows and start the fires in the castle all over the place. They weren't shooting at people. They were shooting to start fires. And why would they do that? It would distract them from the battle. And Satan does the same thing to you. He starts fires all around you, and you think it's against flesh and blood, but it's not. You forget what the real battle is. So the question is, who does God say you are? Who are you? Well, did you know that 236 times in Scripture, you're called a saint? How many of y'all call yourself a saint every day? Well, we can either believe what we feel, we can believe what Satan tells us, or we can believe what God's Word tells us. 236 times. What difference does it make, you think? What if you call your spouse a saint every day and believe what God says about her? Only one time will you find the word sinner referring to a Christian in the Bible. That's when Paul says, I was a chief of sinners. Remember that verse? First Timothy. However, if you look at verse 13 in that chapter, 
it says formerly. Theologians that I've studied said that word formerly ties to the entire verse. The entire chapter, I'm sorry. Formerly, I was a chief of sinners. It's not who he is now. Because here's the deal. What you do is not who you are, but who you are should have a great impact on what you do. I'm going to say that again. What you do is not who you are, but who you are should have a great impact on what you do. Now, I'm not saying you never sin. I'm saying who God created you to be is not a sinner. It said you are a new creation, right? God created you as a new creation. He didn't create a new creation to be a sinner. He created you to be a saint. What else does God's word say about you? I've got a list of scriptures here, and we're not going to bother reading every one of them. But I advise you, I would highly encourage you to read them yourself, as the Bereans did, to see what Paul said was true. So in Romans 8.30, it says, you are justified, past tense. If you look at that verse, it's past tense. You are justified. In Ephesians 1.4, it says, you are holy and blameless. You go around calling yourself holy, but you are. But what's important is, she's holy. Why would I dare treat her as unholy? You know, a lot of times we'll say this is God's house, but the Bible says we are the temple of God. She's the temple of God. Why would I treat her as anything worthless? Solomon's temple, it said, was worth $140 billion. She's worth so much to me because she's worth something to God. If we go on, Colossians 2.10 says you are complete, past tense. Colossians 3.12, you're holy and you're beloved. Colossians 3.13, you're forgiven. Hebrews 10.10, you're justified. Everything it says about the temple of God in Scripture is now what we are, and that's what your spouse is. You would never come into this building and punch holes in the wall. Treat it in an unholy manner. So why would you treat your spouse that way? She is the temple of God. She's holy. She's beloved. She's precious. I dare not treat her anything but like that. And then that last verse there, Hebrews 10, 14, is one of my favorite ones out of that group there. It says, that verse says, for by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are being made perfect. Different versions say different things. For by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. And if you look at that verse, you may go, wait a minute, isn't that a contradiction? For by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are being made perfect. Not if you notice the difference between who you are and your behavior. On a scale of one to ten, when you accepted Christ, you were made perfect. Perfect forever. Perfect. On a scale of 1 to 10, you are perfect, never to be changed. Verse uh, in Scripture, I can't remember where it says, says, your gifts and callings are irrevocable. Salvation was a free gift, irrevocable. Can't be taken away. Scale of 1 to 10, you're a 10. But your behavior is this, right? You know, one day you may be a 3, one day you may be a 4. Maybe you might make it to a 7. But... Who God says you are never changes. 
who God says your spouse is never, ever changes. Now that is good news. Amen. Thank you, honey. Um, Identity. Why it's so important to know who our spouse is is because the word says marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. People are looking at us as believers and how we treat our spouses. Um, especially outside the home. Ben and I have a, a thing that we do not speak ill of our spouse with anybody except with him. If I've got something to talk to Ben about, I'll talk to Ben about it. But I don't go to my friends at work and say, man, he is driving me nuts. He does this. He does this. We don't do that. We are a picture of Christ in the church. Christ loved us enough that he died for us. Identity is very important. Um, Growing up, I grew up in Florida, and I never knew who my biological father was. My mom was married three different times. And when she married my stepfather, um, she had me, and my stepfather had three children that he brought from another marriage. And then they had a son together. So there were five of us children growing up in this home. Um, It was a little chaotic at times, I remember, even as a small child. But we looked like the perfect Christian family. We went to church every Sunday. My mama taught Sunday school. She taught vacation Bible school. My sisters and I sang in church while my stepfather played the guitar. Um, I was saved at a church camp. I'm very thankful for those opportunities for our kids here at First Baptist Goodlettsville. But in our home, we were far from perfect. Um, My mom was beat severely by my stepfather. Growing up in Florida where it's so hot and so humid all the time, I remember her wearing turtlenecks in the summer to hide bruises on her neck, bruises on her arms, Um, sunglasses indoors. She'd wear sunglasses and not take them off because he'd given her bruises on her face. I specifically remember a time um, when he took the gun that was in the home and he played Russian roulette with the gun to my mom's head and all of us children were there. Um, I remember many times the cops coming to our house and I don't know, I can remember a couple times mom calling the cops, but I'm assuming the rest of the times was because of some neighbor called the cops. Um, they would come to our house, they would restrain my stepfather And my mother and I would leave, or when my baby brother was born, we would all leave the house for a time. But we always came back. Um, He was physically abusive to all of us. Um, I can specifically remember my sweet sister Beth had an accident where she slammed a door open, and my baby brother was behind the door. And so she ran across his toes, and he grabbed her by her neck and held her up against the wall, yelling at her. There was not discipline. There was beatings. Um, And also, I was a victim of incest in that home. It was a very hard home to grow up in, but it was my family, and it was the only family I knew. Um, Poor mama trying to make a home with these children. If she needed to go grocery shopping, if stepfather was home, she would leave the kids with him, and I would beg, Mama, please take me with you. I'll help you. Please don't leave me here. And, of course, she had no idea what was going on. Um... And so she would leave us, and he would find chores for us to do. And we'd either all start outside pulling weeds. We had gardens. um, Or 
and then he would call me in because he had chores for me to do in the house. Or they would start outside, my brothers and sisters, and I would always have to stay inside. So there was always a way that he found for us to be alone. My mom did find out, um, and bless her heart, my mom is a saint. She's gone on to be with the Lord um, seven years ago. But she, um, when she found out, she immediately grabbed the gun, and she took off, and she was going to go kill him. She told me this later. And she said the Lord stopped her because if she had, if she had killed him, she'd go to prison. She didn't know what would happen to the, all of us kids. If she missed or didn't kill him, she'd go to prison, and he would get the kids, and she definitely didn't want that. So there was a divorce, and the whole family was ripped apart. Um, and I can't remember how many years that they were married, but I know that I was in second grade um, when I happened to be going to our class, was going through the little courtyard area, and I saw the police um, escorting my two sisters out of school. I had no idea what was going on. And, of course, I couldn't stop and ask. Well, that's when I found out later my stepfather left. He took his kids. Mom and me and my baby brother stayed. I was still very young. But as I grew up and started to understand the things that had gone on in that home, um, I sure didn't know who I was. I was bitter. I was angry. I felt like I was worthless. I was used goods. I couldn't do anything right. These were all the things that Satan was feeding me because of my past. And because of all of that, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Um, And if you're looking for love in all the wrong places, you're going to find something, and it's probably not going to be love. So I met a man, and we got married. Um, right out of high school, and he joined the Air Force, so we moved far away from my home, from my mom, my brother. And as we um, entered the Air Force, there were, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you this, there were red flags when we were dating. He hit me once. And I know that they say um, when you come from that kind of background, you tend to follow that through your life. Well, I did that. Um, After we moved far away, the... The beatings intensified. The abuse intensified. Um, He strongly encouraged me to join the Air Force, um, meaning he made me join the Air Force. And I I know there's people sitting here going, well, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. If you've not been in that situation, in an abusive situation, I am telling you, I have so much sympathy and empathy for these women on TV um, who are arrested and their spouse or their significant other, whoever, has done something and they've been brought along. And I'm telling you, um, I don't understand it because I'm not a psychologist, but there is something that happens. They work and break you down and break you down, and you'll pretty much go along with anything they say. Um, not that the military was a bad thing, um, but anyway, we joined, I joined, and I, was, I learned to walk on eggshells to survive in that family. I learned what triggered him so I wouldn't get a beating. Um, Found myself pregnant, um, gave birth to a baby boy, and during the beatings, we lived in base housing, and I don't know if any of y'all were former military, but in base housing, it's worse than living in an apartment. You can, next door, you can hear drawers opening in the neighbor's house. Um, so they heard everything. So they would call the cops constantly, and I remember one time specifically after the baby was born, Rick was my husband's name. 
Um, I had done something to set him off, and he was hitting me, and I tried to fight back. And I don't know if that was because of the baby. I don't know what that was about, but I tried to fight back. Well, he knocked me out. Um, I was out and woke up to the cops pounding on the door. The cops separated us, and I can feel I have a knot coming up on my head. And this military policeman, so young, and he's saying, ma'am, did he hit you? We can protect you. Did he hit you? No. No, he didn't hit me. He wouldn't hit me. Obviously, he had. And for a long time, I had resigned myself to that life until our baby turned six months old and he began teething. And one night, when I couldn't get him to quit crying, Rick started spanking the baby at six months old. And it was like the Lord turned a light on in my head. I would not let my baby go through what my mama and our family went through. And it was then that I knew I had to get him out of there. Um, so I did. I left. I packed him up when, ben, or when Rick was at work, and we left. We got out. We moved into a little apartment. Um, so I'm living in a little town called Plattsmouth, and Rick is coming to take the baby every once in a while for visitation rights. And one day he comes to drop the baby back off, Um, And he closed the door behind him, and he tried to end it. He had me on the couch, and he was choking me, and I thought, this is it. And my baby's standing right here on the table watching the whole thing. And I'm assuming that in the commotion there may have been a scream. I don't know, but there's pounding on the door, men outside yelling, and it was Rick, uh, Ben, and his roommates came and stopped him. They stopped Rick from killing me. So the next morning, I filed for a divorce um, for protection. I was very afraid for my own life and for my son's life. I still didn't like Ben very much. I just didn't. I, I didn't like any man very much, to be honest. Um, I was very distrustful of men in general. Um, but long story short, we did end up getting married. He won me over. He adopted our son, Josh. Um, and Josh will tell you to this day, he's the only daddy that he knows. Even when we were dating, he would call Ben Daddy Benny. He just came up with that all on his own. It was so sweet. Um, we, get, we were both in the Air Force. There was Desert Storm. Ben got taken away to Desert Storm. Long story. We finally got out of the Air Force. Um, we've had a daughter by this time. We've moved to Kentucky. Um, and I'm living every day with this man who has Christ just shining out of him, who treats me like gold. And I'm realizing that my past and the baggage that I've pulled into this marriage is affecting me. It's affecting our family. It's affecting our relationship. And remember, I'm a Christian. I, I got saved at a young age. But because I'm so ignorant of God's word, so ignorant of God's word, I prayed that the Lord would provide money for us so that I could see a psychologist. When we got out of the Air Force, Ben was going to school and working part-time. Um, and I was staying home with the kids. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of money. Well, God knew exactly what I needed, and he sent a friend to me. And nobody knows my past, because I did not share with anybody. Um, She asked me to join a Bible study called Lord Heal My Hurts. That was God answering my prayer, and I had no idea. And she told me later, she said, Stephanie, this is not the Bible study I wanted to do. 
It was a K. Arthur study, and she loved K. Arthur studies, but this is not the one she wanted to do. But I couldn't get that study and you out of my mind. So I'm so thankful. Um, through that study, the Lord showed me so many things. One of the very first verses we studied was Genesis 50:20, which still today is amazing to me to read it. What you did to me, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. And then, of course, Romans 8:28. That all things work together for good for those who are, for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And then Matthew five forty four, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And I, I just really didn't understand what I was learning. I'm thinking, how could God mean these hurts for my good? How how could that possibly work out? None of this made sense to my logical mind. Um, And how could I forgive, and not just forgive, but how could I love my stepfather and my ex-spouse for what they'd done to me and what they'd done to my family? And I kept thinking, that means they're going to get away with everything they did. If I let go, if I forgive, they're going to get away with everything. But the scripture said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And I'm here to tell you first... Love is a decision. Forgiveness is a decision. It is not a feeling. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't tell us to love our enemies because we're never going to feel like we love them. So I had to make a choice. I didn't feel like it. However, at some point in all of our lives, if we're believers, we've got to decide if what God says in his word is true and we're going to believe it and we're going to walk in it. And so I made that choice, not feeling like it, still with a lot of hatred and bitterness, But I chose to believe God. I asked him for strength. I took these verses and wrote them out. I had them stuck in my car. I had them stuck up in my house, on my mirror. I was saturating myself with what God says. I chose to say and to believe these words. I forgive and I love Earl. That was my stepfather's name. And Rick. I love you and I forgive you. And finally, God did heal my heart. And this is when I knew it. it God is so amazing. I'm, I guess I'm walking along and the burden's just being lifted off, lifted off, and lifted off. And this is when I realized that we're in church. I'm in the choir loft. And the preacher is, pr- is praying at the beginning of the service. And he prays for something supernatural in that service that only God could do and we would all know it was God. And at that moment, God dealt with my heart. I have healed you, and I want you to tell them. And, of course, I wrestle. I don't have no idea what the preacher preached on that day. I'm sitting in the choir loft. We didn't go down after we sang, and I'm just thinking, Lord, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. But I know I need to do that because I know what you've done. So at the end of the service, that was the first time I got to share what the Lord had done in my life. Um, I cannot tell y'all the freedom and the joy when you let go and you choose to love and you choose to forgive God can and does use it for your good and for others' goods, for others' good. Um, And what he meant for evil, I have got to share my testimony so many times. Ben mentioned when we sang earlier, and there was rarely a time that I got to share that some lady would come talk to me that either the same kind of things had happened to her or maybe to her kids. Um, So I'm, I'm really in amazement at how the Lord works all this together. And through everything that I went through, um, 
the Lord began to show me how he views me and how he views others. And I'm just so thankful for that. So um, to wrap it up, I think what you have to understand is you have a covenant marriage, not a contract marriage. Covenant marriage takes a sacrifice. Anytime there was a covenant in Scripture, uh, let's go back to where uh, God made a covenant with Abram. Remember that? He told Abram to separate some animals, cut them in half, left a blood path. Covenants made blood is involved. God made a covenant with Abram. And guess what he did when he, after the covenant? Changed his name. No longer will we be called Abram, you're Abraham. When God made a covenant with you, with Jesus on the cross, blood was involved. And he changed your name. No longer are you a sinner, you're a saint. You're holy, you're beloved. You're complete. Something very interesting that Stephanie and I learned about um, four years ago. Did you know, um, I'm not going to... Uh, Tell you what this is. If you don't know what it is, ask your wife. A woman has a hymen before she has relations with a man. The first time she has relations with a man, that hymen bursts and blood comes forth. Scientists and doctors say they have no idea why it's there. I know why it's there. Because you formed a covenant with your wife. Because blood came forth. In Old Testament times, marriages involved the same thing God did with Abram. They'd separate animals and the uh, bride and the groom would walk through the blood saying, nothing will separate us but death. Very interesting also in Old Testament times when a husband and wife had relations for the first time. It was a celebration. They would go behind a door with a white sheet and the girl would come out with the sheet with blood on it. We formed a covenant. You have a covenant with your spouse that only death can separate. You may need your fellowship with your spouse restored this morning. Maybe you need your fellowship with God restored. Maybe there's a family member you need to be restored. I don't know what decision you need to make this morning, but we're going to pray and we're going to sing. And I trust that God uh, will speak to your heart. Father, thank you for the good news that we are complete and holy and that our spouse is complete and holy and then we have a covenant with them that will not be broken. It's not a contract. It's not a, if they do this, then I will do this. It's I will stay with them to death because love is not a feeling. As Stephanie said, it's a decision. Thank you, Father, for your love for us and that you don't love us based on behavior. You love us because of what Christ did for us. We are complete in him. In Christ's name, amen.